Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to Small Business Digest on Blog Talk Radio. Now entering its fifth year, this show is hosted by Don Mazella, Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. Each week he brings you advice and information from experts and small business leaders like yourself. Each show is designed to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas from authors, experts, and small business leaders, just like most of the individuals who make up our audience. Whenever possible, Small Business Digest tests the products and services featured on the show to ensure they are of a quality to help listeners grow their small business. Guests do not pay to appear, but are chosen for their ability to provide ideas and suggestions to improve operations, expand marketing, reduce cost, enable better personnel management, and add profits. Remember, all of our shows are archived at www.blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. You can hear this show and all others at your leisure. If you like what you hear, tell others about the program. If you have a question or suggestion, email us at editor at is-incorp.com. Should you want to join us on this program during our live hour each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, dial 646-929-2337. That's editor at is-incorp.com or 646-929-2337. We're only as good as our guest and audience make us. After that lengthy uh, introduction, I, I'm, I'm going to have to cut it. But um, our guest today, I'm, I'm particularly uh, happy about. He's Christopher Mulligan. He's here to talk about his new book and and about uh, strategies. Uh, small businesses are now uh, needed because with the uh, expanding economy, big companies now are looking for the their best employees to snatch uh, for jobs uh, uh, in bigger organizations. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you, Don. Thank you for having me on. Well, you know, uh, we always ask our um, our guests the first question. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally, about your company, and your website. Be happy to, Don. I have a degree in industrial organizational psychology, and that is the study of how people work most effectively at work. And for the past 17 years, I have led talent keepers. We are based in Winter Park, Florida, which is just outside of Orlando. And the purpose of talent keepers is to help organizations engage and retain their talent. And we do a lot of research on why people join, stay, and leave their organizations. And we recently published a book called Talent Keepers, How to Engage and Retain Great People, which summarizes our 17 years of research and experience working with thousands of organizations. Well, that's a great opening for us. Um, uh, I've always been told that uh, one of the main reasons 
people leave a company is uh, because they perceive greater opportunity someplace else or uh, feel lack of uh, opportunity within their organization. Um, with that as a backstop, can you give us the three or four uh, main reasons uh, employees leave, and then we'll talk about how we can keep save uh, keep them. Absolutely, Don, and you're spot on. Today, people are leaving their organizations because of lack of career growth opportunities. I use the word growth intentionally versus advancement because it's not always about a promotion, but the ability to learn new skills, acquire new experiences are all things that employees are looking for. And that has been the case for the past five years. Uh, previously, it was all about the leader as the number one reason to leave. But after the recession, uh, there was a pent-up demand in the workplace for people to move. Also, we've had the Generation Y or Millennials become now the largest generation in the workforce. That occurred in 2015. They replaced baby boomers like you and I, Don, and they demand frequent advancement, lots of growth opportunities. So for the past five years, it has been about career growth opportunities, which is causing people to leave. We do see a bit of a difference in the reasons people leave within the first 12 months of the job and when they leave after the first 12 months. In the first 12 months, it's all about fit, and it typically deals with missed expectations and what we're finding, Don, is that this phenomenon is increasing as it becomes more difficult to find good talent. So you may have seen in the past month our unemployment rate nationally is at 4.3%. It's the lowest in 15 years. There are some regions of the country where it is even lower. Uh, Salt Lake City in Utah, for example, is sub 2%. And what that means is it's becoming harder than ever to find talent. So what we're seeing is some organizations are overselling the benefits of their organization, the nature of the work, the environment, and the culture they have. So we're seeing a lot of people leave within that first year because they were oversold on what the position entailed. Um, after the first 12 months, it is those career issues. So a couple of big reasons there regarding missed expectations as well as lack of career growth. Well, let, let me um, jump in and ask, uh, supposedly there are, are 94 million people who over the last eight years dropped out of the workforce and, and are not being counted in the unemployment. And um, um, I know it's not your area of expertise, but uh, certainly there's talent amongst those 94 million that, that could be put back to work if they could be found. Um, do you want to comment on that or is that uh, too much out of left field? It is beyond my core area of expertise, but we do deal with thousands of organizations who are looking for talent. And I have heard similar stats about the number of people, you know, withdrawing from the workplace not being reported. But I also heard this morning on one of the national news networks that there are 6 million open positions in the country. So yes. I, I think there may be a gap between the skills that are required. So perhaps some of those people who dropped out of the workforce don't have the skills that employee, employers are looking for today. 
we can see that by the unemployment rate of college graduates versus those who don't have a college degree. The unemployment rate is even lower for people who have a college degree. So I think there may be a skills mismatch that is also in those numbers. Well, then let's go now talk about um, we have an organization that has employees that wants to keep. How how can it uh, how can it do that? And and I also I guess in many organizations now we have two or three types of uh, employees, generational types. So um, you want to do it by generational type or general? Uh, the floor is yours. Sure. Why don't we talk generally uh, what engages and, and retains people at work? We've looked at this for 17 years, and uh, we've surveyed millions of employees. We've worked with thousands of organizations, and we've identified four drivers that will cause individuals to join, stay, or consider leaving their employers. The first one is a credible leader someone who understands what they need as an individual, is supportive, coaching, a good communicator. The second are supportive coworkers, specifically for millennials. They really value working in a team environment. They were raised working in team environments, and they, they want coworkers who will support their career goals and help them perform well. Third are job and career satisfaction. So I want to do work that is satisfying to me, that I'm good at, and I want to see a path forward for me that's exciting. And lastly, a high-performing organization. Individuals want to work for organizations that they are proud to be associated with, uh, that they feel is led by reputable and upstanding senior leaders, and that is doing socially valuable work. So those are the four general drivers. What we see in our research is that one of those four drivers trumps all the others, and that's credible leaders. We often find that corporate at the very top of an organization may have a wonderful message, a great mission, but at the end of the day, if I'm working for a leader who is uninspiring, maybe even frustrated with their own role, that tends to roll downhill. So my immediate leader is the lens through which I view everything else in the organization. So we are hearing time and time again in our research that if you want to improve engagement and retention within your organization, look first to your leaders, especially your frontline leaders. When you mean frontline, you mean first level management. First level management, absolutely. Those are, yes. are the folks that are usually interacting right. with the majority of our frontline employees. Right. Um, uh, you know, th th that's interesting. Well, let me ask you a question then. Uh, oftentimes, um, the, these frontline managers have been there a while, and they're dealing with uh, often younger people who have different ac expectations. Um, what do you... Um, a is that the case, and B, what do you, how do you get these uh, these frontline managers to become more effective leaders? So the first part of your question, Don, I think is spot on. They are um, typically challenged by managing individuals of different generations. Um, most organizations say that is a challenge for them. Um, 
And what we really need to think about is their awareness in terms of whether or not they believe they are influential on their team members' decisions to stay or leave the organization. Most frontline leaders underestimate the influence they have. So there is a need to make them aware that they matter. And once we find that they are aware of the influence they have, they're eager to learn how to leverage that influence and become a reason to stay for their employees. Uh, this problem or, or this challenge, I think, is confounded by the fact that most organizations, Don, promote individuals to that first-line leader position not based on their ability to lead, but rather on their ability to do the job that they're going to be managing or leading. And that's a, a common practice. It, it re often results in losing a very strong individual contributor and getting a mediocre leader. You know, that's very true. As you said, and I'm thinking back over um, uh, a lifetime of, uh, of working in, in, in large corporations, and you're so accurate about that. Uh, it's funny. But in the, in the small business, in a small business where um, uh, uh, every employee counts uh, sometimes doubly or triply, um, how, what do you do? when you have to um, uh, promote somebody and, and take him or her out of well, the role that she was good at and then put, her, put them into a new role. Do you train them? Well, you, um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, a couple of things we recommend is try to assess how effective they will be at leading others. Will they be able to deal with different personalities? Will they understand that they matter? Will they be equipped to deal with the very many gray issues that leaders have to deal with? And there are some good tools available that organizations can use to assess whether or not leaders have that knowledge and that understanding and ability. Um, certainly they can be trained as well. I've, I've rarely seen an individual leader who comes to work and says, I'm going to break trust with my team today. Yet they're unknowingly doing just that by some of the behaviors that they're using. So we have seen that we can assess for that to improve the likelihood that they'll be successful. And we can train leaders to acquire those skills. So both methods are available. We recommend that you really, as a small business leader, pay attention to that before you make that promotion decision or before you hire from outside. Um, certainly, if you're hiring from outside and the candidate has been in leadership positions previously, we think it's necessary to ask them about their employee engagement and retention track record. And those candidates that look at you like a deer in the headlights are not your candidate because they don't understand that. Those candidates that can articulate, this is how I engage my team, this is what I do to retain my team members, are the candidates that you want to talk to further. You said tools. Um, what, can you name, name some of the tools or, um, or some of the ideas um, behind the tools? 
Yes. So, so one tool that we've developed at Talent Keepers is a situational judgment test where a candidate for a first-line supervisory position would review a series of situations that they would be faced with if they were a leader, and they deal with engagement and retention issues, and they choose what they think would be the most and least effective way to deal with each of those situations. At the end of that assessment, they would get a score for how well they did at deciding what those best courses of action were, and they also get feedback on 10 skill areas that they could see how well they're doing in each one of those skills. There's two benefits for a tool like this, and there are many others available. One is that we can see who has the most aptitude, who, who, who can recognize what right looks like. The other benefit is that the candidate gets a feel for what it's like to be in that leadership position. And it's not uncommon, Don, for some candidates to say, is that realistic? Would I really have to deal with those sorts of issues? And the answer, of course, is yes. And therefore, some of those candidates withdraw from consideration because they're not interested in dealing with those sorts of issues. And that's the best time for them to discover that versus after they've been promoted into the position. Um, oftentimes, though, people want the promotion because of the dollars involved and not realizing um, what you said, some of the uh, different decisions. Uh, how how can you uh, mitigate that? For instance, can you say if someone turns it down, well, we're, uh, we're going to reward you for being that um, by adding to your salary? Or um, what Absolutely. can you do? Yeah, if someone raises their hand, is considered, sees what the job is like and withdraws, I think they should be rewarded. And there are increasingly more organizations who recognize that leadership is not the only way to advance in the organization. And they create individual contributor tracks where they get more responsibility for doing the tasks that they're so very good at, and they do get increases in compensation. Uh, because you're right, it is a socially desirable event to get promoted into leadership. And too often we find that individuals who find themselves in that role but end up hating it uh, don't withdraw, don't ask to be taken back to that frontline or individual contributor level, but rather they just underperform and ultimately get fired. Uh, so it's, it's a dilemma for individuals. It is. Well, 59% um, uh, of our audience is uh, uh, presidents and or owners. Well, um, uh, uh, for, for them, um, how can they recognize um, good leaders uh, from w within their organization? Recognition of good leaders is really important. What we recommend is looking at the track record of individual leaders at retaining their staff. So just like leaders vary on many of their skills, their ability to retain talent will vary as well. And so tracking turnover by individual leader is one of the first steps to identify who are those leaders that are becoming reasons to stay for their team members and who aren't. 
recognizing those who do is one of the very public ways that they can communicate to the rest of the organization that this skill set is valuable. Also, we find that those leaders who are better able to retain their staff have best practices that other leaders in the organization could benefit from using. So recognizing those leaders who are able to retain their talent by looking at attrition rates by leader is one first step. There are also ways to assess their ability to be engaging to their team. So uh, in our book, we, we highly recommend that organizations measure the ability of each leader to be engaging to their team. And one of the metrics that we have developed that has been very effective is called the Leader Engagement Index. And it's a percentage of team members that are engaged by each individual leader. It ranges from zero to 100%. And in every organization with whom we've worked, we have seen that full scale use. There are many leaders who have 100% of their team engaged by them. And then there are some that have none or very few. When we correlate that leader engagement index score, Don, with their team's performance, it always correlates. Those leaders who have more engaged teams have teams that are selling more, servicing better, work more safely, are more productive, et cetera. And, and that's really what we think is, is a excellent technique for organizations to use is to measure that and then begin to improve the ability of those leaders who are not where they want to be uh, to become more engaging to their teams. We're talking with Christopher Mulligan. Uh, he's head of Talent Keepers, and they have a new book. Uh, Chris, your website again? www.talentkeepers.com. You know, um, I'm going to go uh, again a little bit uh, wide. Um, I, I've noticed that um, uh, uh, supervisors or first-line managers who do everything by the book tend not to have um, a strong relationship with their uh, staff. Well, whereas, um, but on the other hand, there are people who are very lax in following the book and also have, um, fo you know, following, following the rules, also have uh, problems with engagement. Uh, how does one strike a balance between the two? I think uh, the key things that we find, Don, that employees are looking from their leaders, uh, looking for from their leaders, is first and foremost a leader they can trust, right? Which which is a leader who tells them the truth, uh, coaches them effectively, um, and someone that they can rely on. And so whether that leader is going by the book or that leader is doing what they need to to manage. And, and I think many times we forget that the word manager comes from manage. And that means you don't actually just go by the book every time, but you manage the situation. If all we did is follow the book every single time, we would not need managers, right? So leaders need to know when to step outside the prescription of what to do in every situation, make an exception as appropriate, and those are the managers who will be most highly regarded by their teams. Well, we, we're dealing with the first line,
but um, many times the first line uh, is hampered because you have an inconsistent uh, president or leader at the very top who uh, is constantly making changes, or you have one that's very rigid. I mean, uh, the reasons for, for good and bad presidents are, are many, but um, uh, I happen to think that w one of the key things that sets a tone for an organization is how the the, uh, the top uh, person uh, con conducts him or herself, and and that uh, uh, kind of filters down into the the ranks. Um, what do you do when you have um, a difficult situation like that? Yeah, you raise a couple of very important points, Don. Uh, one is that the, the pace of change in the U.S. economy, and I think particularly for small businesses, is faster than ever. Uh, rising economies tend to create opportunities, and those organizations that can pivot quickly and take advantage of those opportunities are the ones that will be most effective. And you're right, that starts from the top. Some senior leadership teams are better than, than others at implementing change. And we talk about this in our book. We, we, we really talk about it in a couple of different perspectives. One is that we say communication is the lubricant for change. Silence is friction. And those organizations that are most effective at implementing change initiate change by leveraging their leadership teams. Those who surprise everyone in the organization with an announcement are those that suffer from a lot of what we call blaming up. So blaming up is present in most organizations and it goes like this. The president announces that they're going to be making a change, and the change is not perceived to be positive by everybody. Everyone gets that message at the same time. The team looks to the frontline leader and says, Don, what are, what are we doing? What, what is this change all about? And you say, I didn't have any advance notice of this. I don't know what they are thinking, the proverbial they, right? It feels comfortable to that leader to say that, and it's honest. What the team hears is my leader is skeptical about whether or not this is a good change, and they hesitate. They hesitate to implement the change because they think it may not stick. And they begin to get jaded about the senior leadership team in terms of do they know what they're doing. Right, Very detrimental things happen when that occurs. The reverse is, or the anecdote for, sharing for, for blaming up, is sharing down. And it works like this. Whenever possible, senior leadership needs to give the frontline leaders advance notice of when changes are coming, just a couple of days. Now, finance and legal will tell these senior leaders you can't share. We advise to keep asking why not. There are very few things that cannot be shared. You give that leadership team advance notice. You give them time to digest and react. The second thing you do is you give them the talking points behind why that change is being made so that they can use those talking points with their teams when they get asked questions. And they become now advocates for the decision 
And the third thing to do is to give that frontline leadership team an upward feedback channel. If they get a question they can't answer from their team, who can they go to to quickly get a resolution? And when we see that sharing down tactics are used, we see blaming up become very, very less frequent. And you can tell whether your frontline leaders are blaming up or not by just listening for two words. If they say, I don't know what they are thinking, they use the they word, they're blaming up. If they say, this is why we are doing this, they're advocating for the decision. So listen for they or we. That is a great, profound thought. I, I never thought of it that way, but uh, they and we. Uh, I, uh, uh, Christopher, that's that's really interesting. Um, I have I have to use it because at some point, because um, uh, I was involved yesterday with uh, a company that uh, m uh, made a major change in in, in president, and it was like. Uh, 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 Monday he was there, and uh, uh, Tuesday he was gone, and, and no one knew except two two people, and uh, the company is in shock, and not able to uh, function, and and they're coming into uh, one of their prime uh, selling seasons, so uh, I I happened to be at the office when it happened, and uh, I I just looked at the profound shock when people realize that their president was gone. Yeah, and that's going to cause a lot of consternation in that company. It, it, it did. It was amazing. Um, the meeting that I was at was canceled um, because they, no, one, no one knew what to do. Um, and, and, you know, and it's interesting. I heard the we and the they, you know. <laughs> uh, I heard the they. And they, you know, um, it, it's very funny. I mean, uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, life uh, when we bring people on, and then I, uh, life, life sometimes intrudes into the radio broadcast. But um, this is a fairly substantial company in the media industry, and their president was gone, one one in, one day, and one out. But. Um, uh, uh, I mean, I'm enjoying this uh, interview. So let me uh, say, uh, um, Christopher, what are the three things that you, uh, when someone comes to you and says, I need help with my company, what are the three questions you ask them about their company to help you understand what their needs are? Great questions, Don. The first is, let's size the problem, right? How big is this issue? If we're talking about retention, one of the first things we need to know is what does it cost to replace a well-performing employee? And I'm sad to report that most organizations, 75% of organizations don't know this number. It's very difficult to decide how much you should spend on a solution if you didn't know the size of the problem. So that's the first thing that we, we work on is how big is this problem that can help us understand the size of the solution. Um, the second is tying engagement and retention rates to their operational performance. This should not be an HR issue. Retention and engagement of employees is a business issue. And so we need to show the operations leadership 
that we need to understand that the more we can engage and retain staff, the better everything gets, whether it's earnings per share, safety, productivity, service, sales, everything gets better. So that's sort of the, the creating the business case, if you will, that this is worth doing. We Secondly, we need operations support. We need senior leadership on board with this because it's going to require some changes. And the third thing would be to put metrics in place. So how effective are those four drivers of engagement? So we know which ones to leverage as a strength and which ones to look at as a developmental opportunity. And oftentimes we find that leadership driver is one that can turn the quickest. Because face it, we've got the same jobs. We're not going to redesign our jobs. We've got the same organization. We've got the same coworkers. But the way in which our leaders interact with those team members, getting them excited to come to work, talking about what their career aspirations are, and creating a trusting environment is something we can turn pretty quickly. So those are the three things that we would start with a conversation uh, with an organization that was looking to improve performance. Um, about, uh, how do you convince a management that is so used to keeping information tight to loosen those strings? I think in understanding the impact of not um, loosening the strings and, and having that blaming up discussion, because once you use those words and they start listening for we or they, they see it. Uh, often they have seen it in the form of less adoption to the changes that they're making. Uh, they're not able to pivot as quickly in a new direction. So they've already seen it. They just don't understand what the reasons are behind it. And so by boiling it down to, you know, getting all leaders on the same page, they, they quickly see that as an opportunity. We're talking with Christopher Mulligan. Um, uh, one final question, uh, Christopher. Uh, how, how can a company truly measure all of this? Um, you say uh, it, it's something. How can how can they measure um, uh, these? You're saying that you can do it by retention, but are there other ways of doing it as well? For instance, uh, absolutely. Um, okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. So today, Don, seventy nine percent of organizations are using some form of an employee survey. That's a record high in the 13 years of Workplace America research that we conduct at Talent Keepers. And so the good news is there are data available. We have to make sure we're leveraging that. But an effective employee survey can measure how effective the leadership team is, how effective the coworkers are, the job and career opportunities, and the organization itself. How is it being perceived by the employees? Sending those surveys out and getting them back is the easy part. Once those data are back, we need to create action plans that start at the top but go down to the frontline leader level. Everyone has an opportunity to improve and strengthen the influence they have. And if done successively, and we find that best-in-class organizations are administering these sorts of surveys at least once a year, many of them doing it every six months, 
creates a culture that we value the employee's input, we're going to act on what we hear, and we're going to hold everyone accountable for doing their part. When that's done, we have seen organizations make tremendous improvements. We, we have one client, a major telecommunications organization, who went from worst to first in their industry over a seven-year period, and they changed their culture through tools like this to where they have been recognized by J.D. Power as outstanding in customer service the last three years running. Oh, that's really great. Uh, your website again and how people can reach you if they want to call you or anything else? Sure. Our website is www.talentkeepers.com. Uh, you can reach us at solutions at talentkeepers.com. Our book is available on barnesandnoble.com as well as amazon.com. It's called Talent Keepers, How to Engage and Retain Great People. Christopher Mulligan, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I've learned a lot, and I hope our audience did as well. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thanks for having me on the show. Have a good day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Welcome to Small Business Digest on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture.